Hello, listeners, and a very warm welcome to the EMG Gold Podcast. This is your host, Courtney Jones, Head of Digital Learning and Analytics here at EMG Health. And for today's episode, I am very pleased to be joined by the Chief Diversity Officer at Alexion Uzer Kadir. So um, just a little bit of a background for our listeners. Zaire joined Alexion two years ago, working initially as the Vice President of Human Resources before becoming the first person to hold this position of CDO at the company. Prior to this, he worked for Deloitte for over five years in roles of increasing responsibility, where he climbed the ranks from analyst to senior manager. And before that, he also held multiple roles of varying levels of seniority at BMS, both in the United States and Italy. He is an extraordinarily accomplished mentor, public speaker, and business professional working hard to represent all people and patient populations in the pharmaceutical industry and beyond. Welcome to the podcast, Azair. How are you? I am great, Courtney. Thank you for having me. Great. No, it's an absolute pleasure. So to kick things off, I you know, just wanted to ask you, as Alexion's first chief diversity officer, how are you hoping to drive a true systemic change on the diversity, equity, and inclusion front? You know, Courtney, this is a tremendous time to be in the space of diversity, inclusion, and belonging. Mm. This is a moment where a lot of diversity leaders are really in a driver's seat to make a lasting and systemic change. And at Anatolexion, we're doing a few things dramatically differently than others. And we are really trying to, in some ways, rewrite the entire diversity, inclusion, and belonging playbook. When, when we had our moment this summer, when we realized that we wanted to drive a systemic change, we also acknowledged that perhaps the solutions of the past cannot deliver answers for a brighter tomorrow. So we went back to the drawing board and thought to ourselves, how do we rethink the entire idea of diversity programs in an organization? And how do we go and magnetize as many people to be a part of driving that diversity agenda in the company? Mm. So as Alexion's first chief diversity officer, one of the first ways in which we were trying to do that was by positioning the role of the chief diversity officer at the right level to afford it the right degree of leverage to be able to drive that sort of a systemic change. Now, we have to take advantage of the fact that we're able to position the role that way and set the tone at the top. So we started by framing diversity as 10 fully global and truly holistic dials. For us, you know, as a multinational global organization, we could use those 10 really holistic dials of diversity and go market by market and business area by business area and unit by unit to think through each dial of diversity and turn it up or down based on the needs of that specific area. But the bigger first purpose was to cast a really wide net to magnetize as many people as possible internally to be a part of our diversity movement at Alexion, to frame diversity in a way that speaks to everybody so that it's clear to every employee in our organization that diversity is for everyone, that every single person is diverse. 
mm-hmm. and that they can be a part of it. You know, in my opinion, one of the bigger mistakes that diversity leaders do is that they think that it's their job to drive the change, and it isn't. You have to engage every employee and count on every employee to actually join your movement and drive that change in every single pocket of the organization. So when we defined diversity as 10 dials, for us, those are conventional elements like age, race, ethnicity, national origin, gender, sexual orientation, and belief system, and disability status, but also items like neurodiversity, who you are, how you're wired to do things, or socioeconomic diversity. Where are we from and how does that mold us? Talking about diversity that way allowed us to pull so many people into our diversity equation. Courtney, you have no idea. And, and, and th- that was kind of like the step two, right? So here we are, we have positioned the role at the C-suite level. We've set the tone at the top. We have now defined diversity in a holistic way that it's magnetized masses to be a part of our diversity equation. And then we did this third thing where in the first, one of my first acts as chief diversity officer was to announce a listening tour called 90 Days, 90 Perspectives. It was my quest to speak directly to 90 diverse colleagues in my first 90 days to hear their stories and really understand their challenges so we can anchor everything we build in those powerful voices. And that was the third and the final step that started a revolution. So so, so you will love this. This will blow your mind away. (laughs) All of those efforts engaged 7% of our global workforce directly into our diversity efforts. People literally rolled up their sleeves and started contacting us and calling us and emailing us and said, what can I do to help you drive this change? And and what we did with that was we ended up creating, comprised of that 7% of our global workforce, a diversity, inclusion, and belonging innovation factory. And then we took people, those several hundred employees in that innovation factory, and we blew them up into smaller teams, innovation pods that we also call tiger teams. So they could work together in smaller clusters and innovate solutions for most compelling diversity problems facing our employees, such as benefits or diversity analytics, but also you know, supporting our patient diversity programs, such as clinical trial diversity. That sort of an approach has not only afforded us to really drive a powerful movement and galvanize armies of employees internally to help rethink, shape, and define diversity at Alexion. But honestly, it has also for us paved the way for what I think will be a way to drive a systemic change within our company. And then we have joined many external organizations, um, as well as, uh, you know, we signed Mass BioPledge and joined over 160 companies to drive a change outside of our four walls. So we are taking these ideas and very openly sharing it with other companies. So the systemic change that we aspire to drive isn't just happening within our company, but can, be, but can ripple through our entire industry and beyond. I absolutely love that. And I think that that is so powerful and impactful. And I'm so glad that you said that you're taking these learnings and this multifaceted approach and you're taking it outside of just um, Alexion. So 
I guess my, my next question really would be, how would you advise those other companies looking to create a more inclusive work environment for all of their people? Um, I, I, I really appreciate that question because that's truly the right question to ask. Hmm. Um, and I think it's the right question to ask, Courtney, because when you think about the diversity, diversity, diversity programs and diversity functions in corporate America, some are called diversity, some are called diversity and inclusion, some are even called diversity, equity and inclusion. I really think we have to understand one of the biggest trends driving HR today. And that trend, in my opinion, is the first of many trends, really, is a trend which is all about a powerful shift from diversity, equity, and inclusion to the eventual big picture goal, which in my opinion is belonging. Mm. Diversity, yeah. You, yeah, right? Because when you think about it, diversity is simply a fact. Diversity exists. Inclusion is an act. It's an act of making people feel included. Belonging is the most important. Belonging is a pact. It's a pact that people make with each other to help appreciate and amplify each other's uniqueness. And I define belonging as that moment where every person feels included because of their uniqueness, not despite of it. Our Mm -hmm. goal is to harness belonging in corporate arena so people don't have to dim the light of who they are. Instead, they can reach for the very dial of who they are and turn that dial all the way to 10, bring their authentic selves to work, and in turn, spur innovation in an organization. Mm -hmm. Um, Fostering diversity and inclusion, in my opinion, is table stakes. Instead, we have to ignite the sparks of belonging. And that's what's going to make a true difference and impact in organizations. It is belonging, you know, that's the goal. So if you really want to create an inclusive environment for all people, you have to create conditions that engage all people, which we are doing at Alexion, as I shared with you. Mm-hmm. And then you will be able to bring all those people together, tear down empathy silos that may exist between them, expand coalitions of action, and immediately fan the flames of belonging. And the result of that, in my opinion, is you'll, be, you'll end up creating conditions in a company where all employees can succeed and belong equally. And that's the secret sauce, really. I I would have to say I absolutely agree because I think as soon as someone belongs, all the other worries that are taking up their cognitive faculties, their creative juices, shall we say, all of that just kind of disappears and it really allows them to show up with authenticity and it allows them to be more creative, more innovative, and then they're going to be able to bring that to the table because as soon as you feel you belong, you feel that you are free to contribute. And like you said, I think that that is absolutely the secret sauce. I, I agree with you fully. And, and I think that really has been the challenge for companies because so many business leaders yet have not been able to fully understand and as a result, fully unlock the total power 
of their employee diversity and harness those diverse insights to create innovation at the company while driving a systemic change in service of those employees. And I think it's really the focus on not diversity, not inclusion, not equity even, but really belonging as the eventual goal that's going to usher us into a future. That's really my first, in my opinion, one of the biggest trends driving the market today. Mm. This absolutely no doubt. And I think that that's such phenomenal advice that no doubt comes from all of your experience and also your passion as well. And just speaking of your experience specifically, so, you know, I, I did have a look, I uh, hope you don't mind, but your resume is dotted with names like Alexion, Bristol Myers, Deloitte, and Johnson & Johnson. And what I noticed was there was a consistent theme in your career that has been to be an HR futurist. And I just, you know, for the benefit of our listeners, what is an HR futurist? I, um, I appreciate that question. So I, I think when I look at the world around us, I realize that there is no possible path forward but to be a futurist especially if you work in the HR function. So the job of HR is, is really incredible. Um, the job of rest of the company is to sit down in their seats, buckle up, and do more of what they have to do to get the organization to be successful. The job of HR is to work with business leaders, understand the long-term business strategy, and think about organizational structures systems and processes that can create the growth of tomorrow. And, and really, there's an act there of getting those people to unbuckle themselves out of those chairs that they're comfortably, comfortably sitting in and are focused to deliver their work in and actually to move around and, and orient themselves in different ways. The job, the function in itself requires you to be a futurist. So, so that being said, it is not missed on me that the world around us is moving at an unprecedented pace. Economies are more globally interconnected. Information is being shared at a rapid pace. And things are changing by the minute. Courtney, think about it this way. Skills are getting automated and transactionalized. Um, let's look at Ross at IBM, a completely artificial intelligence-powered attorney that has automated work that was once done by paralegals and others and was considered highly complicated mm. and sophisticated. Yeah. HR leaders need to stop thinking about the skills of the past. They need to just look at all the changes and say, you know, do we need to worry about things like employee relations and compensation skills that are most likely going to get transactionalized and automated over coming years? Or do we need to look at skills of the future, such as artificial intelligence, machine learning, digital? And do we then understand the importance of our role in the future of the organizations, which is to orchestrate, orchestrate through technologies of tomorrow and people? And, and, and I have to tell you that if we don't usher to that forward-looking mindset, <laughs> and and act as HR futurists, there isn't a path forward. The the first thing that the futurists so so what is a futurist, right? So the first thing that the futurists do, if you really want to be a HR futurist, 
is to constantly, they, they constantly look for patterns as the patterns are forming. Mm. And they look at those patterns, pattern by pattern, and separate fads from trends. HR futurists or futurists in any field, as a matter of fact, understand the difference between a fad and a trend, but they don't, they don't wait until something has become a trend. Instead, they cling on to patterns that they know are about to become a trend, and then they start to inform and shape those patterns as they are forming. So by the time a pattern actually turns into a trend, they have already shaped what that trend is going to be. They have started to create the future. Basically, right. in a simpler example, right, in, 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 in the game of hockey, you can skate, you can't skate to where the puck is because if you do that, by the time you get to the puck's location, the puck's going to be gone to a new location. If you want to be successful, you have to skate to where the puck's going to be. Mm. And that requires a degree of intuition and expertise to be able to see the patterns, figure out which patterns are going to be trends, and quickly start to shape them before they make a trend so you can actually skate to the right location of where the puck's going to be. HR futurists know that. HR futurists then take that knowledge and that sort of vision and try to create communities of action which people from disparate backgrounds and functions can come together in and offer and, and work together to offer something new. HR futurists refuse to live in silos or prefer one function or area of expertise over another. They view every single discipline as equally valuable, technical or non-technical, scientific or non-scientific. They understand that every function and every individual really has immense value. And they bring those entities, functions, and individuals together to, to, to drive a truly differentiated future. Being a future, futurist, in my opinion, requires courage. It requires intuition. It requires foresight. It requires expertise. But most notably, it requires an affinity and an ability to be able to quickly see the patterns and shape them into trends of tomorrow. Wow. I'm, you know, just, I'm really, really impressed. And I don't think anyone can say that they don't understand why you were able to have such a huge impact in such a short amount of time at Alexion, because th this, everything that you're saying now, I can see how just being ahead, doing something new, you've been able to achieve so much in such a short amount of time. It's really impressive. Oh, well, thank you for saying that. I think that Alexion is such a unique organization. I think I'm surrounded by world-class leaders in this organization that are committed to creating a sort of an environment that allows, which allows for this sort of thinking to thrive because mm -hmm. they understand that they have a mission and that mission is to deliver remarkable, remarkable therapies for our patients. And I think that's really our guiding star, our, our patients, the rare disease patients are really what, what, in my opinion, truly what inspires us to be that sort of an organization that, that really creates conditions for us to do these sorts of innovative things. 
And, you know, I want to unpack that a little bit because that's really interesting because you came to Alexion about two years ago and the goal was to help build an HR function that aspired to connect employee experience to the patient experience. And could you just share with us what this looks like in action? Sure thing. So you are actually touching on my favorite topic. So I <laughs> Great. Good. <laughs> I, I shared with you earlier that I think that the shift from diversity, equity, and inclusion to belonging is the first fundamental trend that driving corporations and HR into future. That one's about really amplifying uniqueness of every person to spur innovation. I think there are other two to three other trends that are also going to really shape the future of HR. And I think in that vein, the second and a really important trend that HR functions face today is, is a dramatic shift from human resources to human experience. Hmm. <laughs> and, and before we understand that shift, and, and human experience shift is all about what you talked about, connecting employee experience to customer experience, let's take a step back to first understand what is human experience? Now, as I tell you what I think it is, I, I don't think I need to explain to anyone because we all know that we are living in the age of experience. Everything mm -hmm. is about experience. You know, Courtney, yeah. you, you might prefer to use one app over the other because you like the user experience that it offers you. Um, you may prefer one delivery service for your food over another delivery service because you like the experience. We are living in the age of experience. Now, if you're truly living in the age of experience, then in corporations, human experience has got to replace human resources. And in my opinion, human experience is a really simple equation. And the equation is, it, it goes as such. It's HX is equal to EX plus CX plus DX. And what that is, is it's human experience, which is HX, mm -hmm. is equal to employee experience, which is EX, plus customer experience, which is CX, plus digital experience, which is DX. Okay. That, that is, you're right, that is super important because the whole human experience function should be about connecting employee experience to customer experience and morphing it into a never-ending and an ultra-powerful connection loop. Think about it this way. A lot of times, companies don't understand the importance of customer centricity. So let's look at biotech and pharma, for example. We both know that there are many companies that think that patient centricity is important. They think it's important because it's the right thing to do. It's a feel-good thing to do. I don't disagree with that, but I think that that's table stakes. I think that leading with empathy and compassion is something that's just an imperative. But I don't think that that's why patient centricity is important. 
I think patient centricity is important because the minute, the minute you make your employees patient centric, the employees can actually get access to patient insights. Mm, okay. Courtney, that's a breakthrough because yeah. the minute the employees actually have the patient insight, they are now for the first time in an unbelievable position to weaponize that insight to create the most powerful and transformative and life-changing solution for the patient or the customer in other industries. In biotech and pharma, they actually for the first time become capable of delivering solutions that can help enhance and extend human life. In other, com- in other industries, they're enhancing customer experience. And, and now, now if you're f- still following me, now step back and think about it, right? So you have your employees, yeah. you've connected the experience, they have the insight, they've weaponized it to create an unbelievable solution. That solution is going to magnetize your customer to, or, or your patient to your company. And a happier customer and a patient means that your company is healthy and thriving and is in a position to compensate your employees for their hard work. It is a never-ending loop between a happy employee and a satisfied customer. The human experience function, according to my equation, connects the employee experience to customer experience and in 2021 and beyond, does it digitally because that's the world that we live in. That's the DX of our equation. Yeah, of course. And, 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 and together, that's, that's you know, what will create this powerful mantra that will unlock the true power. Now, HR leaders need to quickly pivot to that. They need to start to find ways and structures to connect employee experience to customer experience because they need to understand that the difference there. So, so if I may add a little bit more very quickly, right? So organizations in bio, biotech and pharma, for example, as a result of such a mindset, can move on from simply being patient-centric, meaning feeling bad for the patients and empathizing with them, to actually feeling good about making a meaningful impact on the lives of our patients by using their insights to deliver unbelievable solutions for them. Because we must always remember that the patients are waiting. They are waiting for these incredible solutions and innovations, and they're counting on employees of our companies to deliver those. In other industries, the customers are waiting. They're waiting for, you know, employees of those companies to delight them Hmm. with solutions that can bolster loyalty. And I came to Alexion to do just that. Alexion had a vision to connect the employee experience to the customer experience. And that's what we've done. We took a revolutionary approach to replace human resources function with him human experience function. And, and we created capabilities and, and organized capabilities in employee experience, patient experience, and IT under a single umbrella called human experience. And I have to tell you, Courtney, what that has allowed done, what that has done to us is it has allowed us to be patient obsessed Hmm. (laughs) right and and digitally agile and empathetic and has connect and has connected our employee experience to customer experience has put the patient at the center of everything that we do 
and 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 I and as a result, with the combined power of the entire Lexion ecosystem, our commercial colleagues, our R and D colleagues, all of those people coming together to support that sort of a mindset. Alexion has moved on. I don't know if you know this or not. We have moved on from being previously unranked to now being ranked number seven on Pharmaceutical Innovation Index. It well has done. Paid, <laughs> it has, thank you. It has paid such dividends for us. And, and most importantly, I believe this, not dividends for us as an organization, for us as an organization that can fully and wholly acknowledge and reward accomplishments of our employees and really deliver breakthroughs for our patients who remain our guiding star. Wow, that is just amazing and wonderful. And I think that there were so many gems that came with that, that it's it's a bit difficult for me to follow up. But I think one of the things that I, I notice is that you're talking a lot about digital and the focus of, you know, even increasing, say, for example, emotional intelligence, like having that EQ element, um, you know, for being patient obsessed, as you said. And what I can see there is that does require a change in skill as well for many people. And so, and I know that, you know, you haven't been an innovator only for the last two years. You've, you've had a history really of revolutionizing and I know that even before you joined Alexion, you did spend a number of years at Deloitte where your focus was helping leaders reinvent their organizational HR and talent strategies in the face of global skills disruption. So I just wanted to know from your perspective, what does that look like, particularly in a time like now during a global pandemic? Courtney, I, I really... Love your question because I think it's a really well-timed question with the with the times that we live in, and with the backdrop of a global pandemic. So thank you for giving me an opportunity to walk you through some of the big trends that I see that are shaping and disrupting the HR function today. Mm-hmm. And and I'll say this right now, right that the first trend I shared with you around moving from diversity, equity, inclusion to belonging, it's game-changing because it it unleashes the individual uniqueness of each person and, and allows for that uniqueness to spur innovation in a company. The second trend, which is a move from HR to human experience, is about then taking that uniqueness and magnifying it to do remarkable and delightful things for your patients and your customers. So the question then straight away lead me, leads me to third big trend that is also interconnected that I see. And this trend is all about moving away from careers to experiences, verticals to networks, and most importantly, jobs to skills. Mm. As a matter of fact, honestly, Courtney, I wonder if careers will even be a concept or a thing in another five to 10 years. Think about it this way. 20 years ago, most of us could make a career out of a skill set. We know from various studies that half-life of skills today is approximately two and a half years. As a matter of fact, Courtney, 40% of skills that you and I learned last year are likely to become obsolete this year. Yes. Right? People are being asked to learn, unlearn, and relearn new skills at an unprecedented pace. 
the corporate annual plans, long range plans change every one to three years. People need to have a new skill. People need to learn new skills constantly to deliver business value with those changing goals. So in that sort of a future, you can't just stay in a career job forever and expect to be able to deliver work with agility that the today's business requires. So um, so my work at Deloitte to some degree was all about that because I worked at Deloitte's flagship human capital consulting business and, 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 and really worked across a broad spectrum of human capital solutions and offerings delivering that work to various clients. But a lot of my work was about being hyper fixated on this move from careers to experiences and jobs to skills. And one of my favorite case studies is with a global client where my team and I painstakingly looked at the client's long-term and short-term business strategy and then built a library of experiences at an enterprise level that we thought would be the right experiences to activate and deliver upon that business strategy. Wow. We then didn't stop there. We then continued to diligently map skills, skill by skill, onto each experience saying, if somebody were to go through this experience, what skills will they really learn? And then we created an entire ecosystem, an entire experiential talent model that would allow people to go from not a job to job, but from a you know, skill to skill, not from career to career, but from an experience to another. And eventually we migrated approximately 20,000 people at this organization, which, by the way, was the first experiential talent model in biotech or pharma. This is the talent model of the future. It revolutionized something. It made learning fun. Right? It makes it easier for people to reinvent themselves throughout their careers by constantly having new and fun, exciting experiences and constantly being measured for learning new skills that are needed while doing while driving business strategy forward and having an impact. And an experiential career models and experiential learning is where the future is. And and at Alexion, we have done some of those really interesting things. So even in diversity, inclusion, and belonging function, we looked at how do you train a company appropriately? And we realized that we can give them some classroom style or digital learning, but that does nothing. That only lifts the organization's collective diversity, inclusion, and belonging EQ to a baseline. So then we said, what could be a tier two of learning? And the tier two was uh, and an immersive and interactive learning conversations that draw your emotion in and help you take that bigger leap in, in your understanding around diversity. But we didn't stop there. Then we added the third tear to it. And I alluded to it earlier, Courtney, and we came up with an idea of experiential learning. We said, we already have all these people, 7% of our workforce engaged in our diversity, inclusion, and belonging innovation factory or network. Can we break them up into smaller tiger teams or innovation pods where these people can join experts 
external advisors and work together to create innovative solutions on diversity topics such as clinical trial diversity or diversity benefits. But while doing that, actually experientially learn new skills in the top, in the arena of diversity. So even at Alexion, we activated experiential learning and experiential career models. And I have to tell you, that is helping us tremendously. It is, it is just so exciting to see all of that come together, activate our human experience equation, experientially drive our people and navigate. And, and it's really helping our colleagues and our employees globally to navigate the global skills disruption by moving from you know rigid structures to agile ways of learning and existing. That's the future of talent. The future of talent is about not hyper fixating about archaic verticals and careers, but instead look at the reality of the world that we look at, live in, acknowledge the pace at which it moves and move quickly to skills and experiences. That is so fascinating. And I think the main reason why I say that is because it is so forward thinking and so impactful. And, you know, this really does speak to my heart because this this is my area of expertise, right? And it's so rewarding to be able to have a deep dive discussion of exactly how this is manifesting itself in the healthcare and pharmaceutical industry. It's absolutely wonderful. And, you know, I want to pick your brain a bit more because I'm just interested in what other gems you have for us. So speaking of trends, what other trends in the HR space do you predict to be transformational for businesses? You know, Courtney, before I answer that question, I'm going to start by saying this. I, I, I've had a life journey where I've constantly felt like I was the outsider in the world that was built only for the insiders. Mm-hmm. Um, growing up in Pakistan, I, went, I once went to a Catholic school and we're not Catholic. And very early in life, that kind of gave me an opportunity to understand the perspective of those that have to live in a society as outsiders when the society is really only built for the insiders. You know, we moved to the United States at one point as migrants. And, and, and in that experience, I learned what it's like to quickly evolve and grow and adjust to a completely new climate. I once moved to Italy in my life and learned Italian, which was my fifth language. All those experiences, I think altogether have helped me understand something fundamental. And that is that when we look at most of the world around us, most of it is designed to prevent people from hurting. It isn't yet designed to actually help people. And there is a dramatic difference between the two. Yes. The job of HR in an organization, in my opinion, is not to prevent people from hurting. It is actually to create environments that set people free so they can have an impact. It is actually to help people drive a greater impact for a company. And in order for us to do that, this is the moment. The world is transforming in front of our eyes. You alluded to the global pandemic. The workforce of, the, of, of you know, across the globe has gone remote 
at an unprecedented and astounding pace. We are showing moment after moment the resiliency that we have as humans to evolve. Companies need to tap into that. And, and in that vein, to continue, you know, that, that kind of red thread all the way, I think there are many trends. You know, we talked about three already. We talked about move from mm -hmm. diversity, inclusion, and belonging to the um, diversity, equity, and inclusion to belonging. We talked about a need for move from human resources to human experience. And we talked about the need of experientializing career models. The fourth trend that, that I think I should really share with you today is about making sure that companies unleash the power of every person by democratizing voices of their employees. Mm. And what I mean by that is, think about it this way. So Courtney, you and, and Uzair, me, right, both of us, we live in a world where in our personal lives, when we have a brilliant idea, you and I can record a video and put it on YouTube. We can write a little paper and put it on LinkedIn. We can tweet about it. We can put it on Instagram. And if our idea is, in fact, a good idea, millions can see it, share it, and spread it all over the world at the speed of light. The world in our personal lives is built to democratize innovative ideas and disrupt systems of the past and replace them with systems designed to help people. Now you come into the corporate arena all of a sudden, you look at companies, you know, anywhere from companies that employ 200,000 people to companies that employ 200 people. They're paying all these brilliant minds to show up at work every single day and spur innovation and drive value for the company. Yet, organizations have done nothing to create systems internally that can democratize voices of employees and let innovative ideas bubble to the top. And we need to do that. And this is a true trend. Companies are thinking about internal platforms that look very much like social media platforms. So, and, and we, by the way, did that at Alexion. So, so this is what we did at Alexion. And, and I really just, just love this story. So we, I shared with you again, I'm going back to our diversity, inclusion and belonging network or innovation factory. 7% of our workforce is direct, directly involved in it. And we thought about how do we best leverage the power of this group? Of course, we, as I shared with you, we can break them up into innovation pods and have them experientially learn things and grow as leaders, but also drive impact on myriad of topics. But another thing we did was we positioned them as a way to actually democratize voices of our employees. We used them to pulse, poll, pilot, and prototype ideas with, to get them to vote on topic, thumbs up, thumbs down. So the best and the brightest ideas could organically bubble all the way to the top, like they do in our personal lives. Mm -hmm. And I cannot tell you, we have gone from starting and sowing the seeds of this diversity function at Alexion in seven months to having something that we are so proud of and we think is in so many ways is disruptive innovative, distinguished, and market-leading. And I think we did that because we democratized voices of our people. We didn't just galvanize them and engage them. We didn't just give them a new, bold value proposition that Alexion, that at Alexion, diversity is for everyone. We actually gave them a platform to democratize voices, to get the best ideas to bubble to the top so innovation can happen at a faster pace on diversity front. 
that is a really big trend. If companies aren't creating conditions to democratize voices of all employees, then they're really choosing to not get maximum return on investment that they have made by hiring these brilliant minds to come and work for them. Wow. I absolutely love that. And I just want to also just take the time to say thank you for sharing your personal story and the journey that you went on because it has undoubtedly given you so much wisdom that's allowed you to make this kind of impact in all of the organizations and especially Alexion. So, you know, just thank you for giving us that gift. Of course, it's my, it's my pleasure. And, you know, on that, so I know that you are a man of many talents and I do have a bit of a fun personal question for you that I've eagerly been waiting to ask you. So, and you mentioned it a little bit just before. So over the course of your career, you have lived in multiple countries and I understand that you speak five languages, which is absolutely remarkable. So I just want to know which has been your favorite country you have lived in as well as your favorite language to learn. And do you have any tips for language learners such as myself? (laughs) So this is literally your toughest question because <laughs> you know it's it's like you're telling me to pick my favorite child i love all the countries <laughs> that i have uh, lived in that is right i i have had a pleasure of living in you know multiple countries multiple continents i do in fact speak five languages um and and if i were to pick one for for our conversation today um i think that my favorite place that i've ever lived in um, is Italy. So I'll tell you a little bit about it. I once lived in Rome for about two years. And I have to tell you, Courtney, that it was an unbelievable experience to expatriate to Rome on behalf of Bristol Myers Squibb Company back then. And to get an experience of moving to another country, of course, and learning about, you know, technical operations and by the virtue of that, living and working in another country and learning about HR and diversity and all those other interrelated topics in an international context, context, that's transformative in its own accord. But I have to tell you that it was only, what made Rome so special was that it was only until I moved to Rome that I realized that home isn't where you're born or have a passport from or where you live. Home is a place where your soul comes alive, Mm. where you're understood even when you don't speak the same language, where you're seen even when you're hiding. (laughs) Right? Think about it this way. I give like a really, um, it's, it's really an interesting example. Think about it this way. An extrovert like me in a country like Italy one could argue that in certain dialects in traditional Italian, there isn't even a word for privacy. It fit like a glove. It was fantastic. But there were also other elements to it. You know, um, over the years, I've thought so much about Rome and thought so much about why. Why was it so special to me? And I have to tell you, there was something so magical. and. And, and, and Rome really helped me see my life in a very different context. It was only until I moved to Rome 
that I started to piece all the pieces of my life together. So, so I'm going to do a little detour and, and bring it all together for you. But, but this is what, what really happened, right? So I moved to Rome and I'm experiencing all these things. Even earlier, I spoke to you about the idea of belonging, every person feeling included because of their uniqueness, not despite of it. That was born in Rome. Rome allowed me to feel included because of my uniqueness, not despite of it. But Rome also made me reflect. It made me reflect on the entire story of my life. Um, I shared with you, you know, the experience of going to Catholic school, not being Catholic and learning about challenges that others may face, the experience of immigrating to the United States once as a displaced person and starting a new life from scratch. No immigration story is easy, but it really, every immigration story teaches you both the joys about both the joys and challenges of being an immigrant. And then, of course, moving to Italy and starting a new life from scratch. I learned from all those experiences that there was this there was this fire and passion that I had. And the passion, I call it my personal purpose, that my personal purpose, having lived a life so many times again and again, being an outsider in a world though for the insiders, my personal purpose was to set people free, mm. to create environments in which every person can reach for the dial of who they are and turn it all the way to 10. So nobody is an outsider again. So every system is built to give everybody a shot at being an insider. And, and, and that purpose requires a setup that gives every person a fair shot at everything. So now let's go back to Italy for a second and bring it together and say, why was Italy so magical? My, this is what my reflection of Italy taught me. My reflection of Italy taught me, think about Italian food, pizza and pasta. Mm -hmm. So easy to make, so affordable, so that Queen Margherita could have her pizza margherita, but so could a common person. You think about, you know, palaces across the world. In Rome, Catholic Church built a stunning, jaw-dropping church on every street intersection, essentially giving every person their own palace. The whole society was built in an equitable manner. We talked about not having, you know, a word for privacy. Mm -hmm. What is life in Italy like? After dinner, you put on a nice outfit and you stroll right into the into a piazza or a public square and you are the center of attention. The whole life was built by putting human at the center of the universe, you, the individual, wow. and affording you the power to never be the outsider. And, and I didn't realize it when I lived in Italy, by the way. I just loved Rome. But it was only until I came back and reflected on it and missed it every single day, I realized that Italy was so special because Italy spoke directly to my unique purpose in my life. I think you also asked me about what my favorite language was. Um, again, all those languages are just so beautiful in their in their own way. You know, you think about Urdu, um, a language that is so poetic, a language that was really, its birthplace was palaces of kings and queens um, to drive intellectualism and rom romantic poetry. So, so of course, Urdu is quite beautiful. Um, it, you, you heard about my love for Italy and gosh, do I love Italian. <laughs> listening to Italian is like listening to a song. It's just so perfect. But my favorite language, if I had to pick one, 
I, I think it would be um, English. Um, English was the third language that I had learned. Um, and I like it for many reasons. First, uh, <laughs> because it was super easy. It was the easiest language <laughs> to learn. So it was a lot of fun. You could learn it quickly. It <laughs> is a good reason. <laughs> <laughs> the other and I think bigger reasons were um, it's, it's really English is a great language to learn because there are so many opportunities to practice it because so many people speak it as a first or a second language. So, so you have this constant opportunity to practice it no matter where you are. And then on top of that, layer on the fact that so much of world's media, Hollywood, you know, Broadway shows, songs, so much of, you know, published, uh, you know, intellectual knowledge is in English language. So English immediately opens, in my opinion, for you, a, this ginormous window to the world to suddenly see it and experience it in ways in which you had not previously seen or, or experienced it. And at least in my case, that was so true. And I have to tell you, I fell in love with the process of learning English. And over my life, I've really appreciated having learned English because of how English language helped me understand the world around me. And, and really, that's something I'm really eternally grateful for. Um, I, I, I don't know if I, though, that being said, have any really great tips for you on learning language languages. Mm -hmm. um, we grew up in a multilingual household. So learning languages was something that was very intuitive and um, something that we just did. And, and, when I learned Italian, it was because I had my back against the wall. I had already cases, <laughs> moved to another country. And if I had to get through calling customer care representatives for multiple issues, from getting my internet fixed to getting a plumber to come over, I had to know <laughs> Italian. So I don't think, I think it was really <laughs> a desperate uh, act of survival. So I think it's a spectrum, right? It's, it's from, you know, early age, you can learn it easily. Later in life, you may need a little bit of a push to be able to learn a language. Um, but, but I think immersion probably is the best way. I think to move somewhere, to put yourself in a situation, where everybody, where the system is built around you to be able to learn learn a language and then learn is probably the best way to do it. That is phenomenal. And I feel the entire interview has been so phenomenal. I've learned so much. I have pages and pages of notes and I think our listeners do as well. So Zare, on behalf of all the listeners, I want to thank you for joining us today for such an insightful and enjoyable and fun conversation. I could pick your brain all day and it's amazing to hear all the work that you're doing for your patients and for your teams. Courtney, thank you again. Thank you for having me. Thank you for giving me an opportunity to share all these incredible things that Alexion's doing. And, and I really believe this. I, I Sometimes I don't think it's, you know, I think it's really this system that Alexion has created, the employees, the leaders of this company have created that has really opened up a doorway for each and every one of us to innovate, to reimagine things differently and to make them better, all driven by a simple purpose to help our patients. So, so I, I really have to tell you, thank you for giving me an opportunity to talk about those things and talk about what a unique place Alexion really is. Absolutely. And it is my absolute pleasure. Thank you so, so much. Thank you. 
Well, that's all for today, folks. Remember to tune in every Tuesday on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Take care and see you again next time on the EMG Gold Podcast.